Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to the voice of the millennials. Um, one of the topics that I've been speaking about recently and thinking about quite a bit is decolonization and with regards to the South African Muslim experience. Now, just this week, I facilitated a discussion on the racial tendencies within the Muslim community um, in South Africa and how we need to decolonize that, how we need to, you know, diagnose it and treat it. Um, it was quite a good turnout. It was it was a wonderful discussion that we had with Mona Yasin Katona, Mona Fudel Jones, uh, Professor Shahid Voda from UCT and Insaf Isaacs. Now looking at decolonization of our own history and the perception of who we are as Muslims in South Africa, I speak now to historian Dr. Halim Nginchoglu, who has been in South Africa for uh, more than 10 years now, looking at the various uh, histories connecting the Ottoman Empire, or particularly Turkey, to the South African Muslim history in the person of Sheikh Abu Bakr Effendi, rahimahullah. And he recently gave a talk on decolonizing the archives from an Afro-Asian perspective based on his research. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Halim. Alaikum salam, Yasin. So the the talk was I heard was very very good. Tell us about what you mean by the Afro Asian perspective on the archives. Shukran Yasin. Uh, um, I am a research fellow, postdoctoral research fellow in uh, Afro Asian studies in the University of Cape Town. Um, also, I am teaching in African studies uh, as. Uh, we mentioned that Afro-Asian uh, studies, Afro-Asian uh, perspective is bringing another dimension to the uh, historiography, South African history, and uh, how we how it brings that uh, dimension. Uh, firstly, the Ottoman archives and other Asian archives as well, for instance, I mean Iranian, Persian archives, what we know about Persian archives in, uh, uh, what Persian archives tell us about Africa. <clears throat> Unfortunately, these uh, archives has been uh, neglected for years and years. And on the other side, we are only looking at uh, Western archives for African studies, which is very problematic. Um, in my studies, I try to bring another alternative uh, uh, source data for uh, African studies, and uh, and this seminar, which was take, uh, just took in uh, African Studies Gallery uh, on the first of August, uh, basically yesterday. And it's called Mafiji Jordan Seminar Series, and I just opened the uh, series with my talk. Um, and Professor Wawda, uh, Shahid Wawda, actually he's holding the uh, head, uh, the, that post. I mean, uh, he's head of the Africa uh, School of Africa. Uh, uh, what I did. In my talk, I what I in my studies, in fact, I try to uh, show one on the one hand when we are t talking about Cecil Rhodes, uh, yes, Cecil Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes, Samats or Hofmeyers, they were colonizers. However, what else we know about them? I mean, what other archives, especially Asian archives, what 
those archives telling us about them. And because uh, even they are colonizers or not, we have to really know and we have to examine their legacy in uh, the context of uh, decolonization. And that would make our uh, studies much meaningful. And even these uh, fee must fall and roads must fall kind of movements, they then those movements will be also uh, analyzed much in, in much uh, wider context. Uh, for instance, uh, when Cecil Rhodes uh, colonized Southern Africa, and or let's say when he was when he met uh, South Africa, a British colony, what Turkish Empire did? That 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 we can take that this from here, uh, this question. Uh, Sultan Abdulhamid, uh, he was aware of all these things, and one of his commanders in Cairo, uh, Ahmed Muhtar Pasha, he informed uh, Istanbul government, and he said that. I translated this document from Ottoman language to English, and it says there, uh, Ahmed Muhtar Pasha said that the British Empire, after the occupation of Egypt, British Empire occupy, try to occupy uh, Sudan, and they also establish a railway station from Cape to Cairo. So, the one of the uh, railway station was in Suakin in Sudan. So he was telling uh, Istanbul government that you must send some artilleries to Suakin to uh, protect the region. Otherwise, the uh, region is going to be occupied by the British Empire. And there are many other uh, documents about Southern Africa in Turkish archives. Uh, that that makes it much meaningful when we compare these things. Okay, so just on a practical level, uh, when, when we talk about decolonization, your suggestion is to use uh, more Afro-Asian um, resources when we look at our own history compared to what we've been using, which has been mostly Western sources and right. uh, a large part of that is because when, when the Dutch and the British were... Um, they were ruling, you know, during colonialism, were ruling uh, the the Cape Colony. Um, they had written journals and they had written right. back to the 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 the, 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 the ruling states, of course, being right. Netherlands and being England. Uh, and they were largely part of these companies who did the Dutch East Indian Company, uh, etc., uh, was which was a major feature of of new empires, uh, you know, with, with the with the improved. Um, technologies, um, but when it comes to African uh, sources itself, why do we need to look at Turkish sources and other sources about Africa itself? Yeah. Are, are, is there not enough African sources? Uh, the, the good question, and uh, there are two answers for this question. One of them is yes, is limited archival source we have in South Africa. I've been working on uh, studying on Cape uh, Archive, South African National Archive, for years and years. Uh, there are many important documents here, 
and even about Turkey and relationship between Turkey and South Africa, but definitely limited. But the, another thing, uh, we must remember that uh, South African documents, I mean, the, from nation like are written by Western uh, colonizers. I mean, you, you can't it also trust them. I give you one example. Uh, death certificate of Abu Bakr Efendi. Uh, if you look at that, you see that his his occupation Malay priest. First, he wasn't Malay. Mm. Second, he wasn't priest. Yes, he was Imam. He was Imam, but he was a scholar. He was a professor of theology. And uh, he he wasn't, of course, Malay, but they put him in that in that. Uh, you know, they gave him a, another identity in South Africa. He's Muslim, he's Malay. Automatically, he became something else. Doesn't matter, we are not dealing here with, you know, his ethnic identity, Malay or Turkish or whatever, but we just look at their, what, how they are, you know, disrespectful to his uh, identity. They don't care about it. That another thing, in his, uh, the the year he died, they say his age was, about 57, if you look at the death certificate, it can't be about 57. It's 57 or not. <laughs> you know, no, we must look at it as, I mean, yes, you, there must be proper information. In fact, mm -hmm. if they had a bit uh, effort and go to ask their families, they would see that uh, they would see Abu Bakr Efendi's passport. Mm -hmm. It's written there, actually. Is birthday dates and everything clear but they didn't worry about it they just uh, colonizers i mean kept colony in that at that time they they did whatever uh, is just you know easy for them so in this regard we can't trust these kind of archives we use them critically we critic these documents and of course, another dimension, I mean, if you compare it with other source, like Turkish source, or even, uh, for instance, next month I am going to give another talk at UCT, is about uh, Ottoman army in Indian Ocean in 16th century. But Ottoman Navy, naval force, was, was always challenging with Portuguese Navy. So I also checked Portuguese source. I don't only look at Turkish source and of course English source and that makes it much uh, meaningful then you see what Portuguese say about this and what English uh, English people say about that uh, so that's what I'm trying yeah. to say in my study so as a historian how, how do you verify whether an event is factual or not um, you know how do you make 100% sure or certain that something had occurred in a certain way? In social science, you cannot be sure 100%, firstly. You must know that. Uh, we are not uh, working on, you know, uh, numbers like maths. No, it's not like that. But what we are doing, uh, uh, there are particular methodology for historical studies. Uh, you firstly use primary source. Uh, you look what is primary source? Of course, archival source. And sometimes oral history is also, verbal information is also important. It corrects one uh, another. 
and uh, other documents documentation of course analysis is very important correct analysis um, from one document we cannot get the uh, result uh, we cannot get decision about the uh, subject so uh, firstly primary source must be taken into consideration and then we follow other source uh, we take them into consideration we uh, deal with uh, many other documents in the field not just history not just historical source for instance in history historical studies uh, i look at sometimes i use map cartography it's another uh, uh, important source for us. When we are talking about certain region, we have to know really what was, what they mentioned in those days, or I mean, let's say if it's 16th century we are talking about, what 16th century map telling us? Yes. Or uh, epigraphy, another uh, field, uh, we are looking at uh, even gravestones are source for us. I mean, I was writing about Ismail Jobert, very famous poet, and Tatamkulu uh, Africa. Yes, yes. I look at his uh, poems, and then I just suddenly ask myself, where this man lived and died? I mean, what really affected the, the him? And he wrote very interesting poets. Poets. I find his grave also in uh, Etlon. I look at his, uh, I mean, you. that's how you are be getting close to his legacy. That's very important to understand him. I mean, uh, you have to know where he lived and what was the conditions he dealt, you know, in his life. So then you understand this, this kind of circumstances. He wrote these kind of stories and uh, sad stories sometimes. Uh, yeah, uh, no. that's interesting. I mean, there is this whole movement within humanities, uh, and I think a lot of young people are also uh, drawn towards it, is that you can never interpret someone else's experiences better than they themselves can, or, yeah. you know, in a way that that's their lived experience. So when it comes to any um, social trend when it comes to the Me Too movement, for example, um, where all of these women were sexually abused, yeah. uh, you have to give them a hearing so they can speak for themselves. Right. But then when it comes to you as a historian, having to listen to all of these different people, you know, in your uh, research of Shabakri Fendi, for example, all of the different people you have to meet and talk to yeah. and listen to, um, what's the benefit um, of preserving that history as an outsider then? From the people, you cannot get really proper information. You, If you are a historian, you can get, but if you are just a person who has that uh, um, uh, interest for the particular uh, stories or leaders, you are going to make big mistake. I mean, that's why when I talk to some people, they, they tell me a lot of different stories where they are. Uh, they have lots of. They are misleading, of course. But if you are, if you know how to study these things uh, as historian, if you know this field, and 
you more or less understand uh, what for instance i give you example again one of the great grandson of abu bikir efendi i met him and i talked to him he told me uh, abu bikir efendi was sent to south africa by enver pasha he heard this enver pasha somewhere but he didn't know even enver pasha was born before abu bikir efendi came to south africa in fact he meant ahmed cevdet pasha Ahmed Cevdet Pasha, he sent Abu Bakir Efendi to Southern Africa. So, if you know, you know, who is Enver Pasha, you just immediately say that, okay, this man talks nonsense now. Yeah, I mean, but some, but Pasha, that side is right, Pasha, the general, military general, Pasha means. So, Even family members make mis- lots of mistakes because, of course, Abu Bakr died 138 years ago. You know, it's 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 you know big gap between now new generation and uh, death of Abu Bakr Efendi. Yeah. Now, one of the other things as well that I've noticed about uh, Western archives and Western resources, whenever they interpret traditional sources as well. Whenever we talk about spirituality, and this is a major aspect of the Afro-Asian tradition, a lot of what is spoken about um, is symbolic for yeah. spiritual realities that they experience, whether it's religiously or whether it's to do with their traditions and the cultures. Um, how do you look at that when you see, um, you know, uh, certain uh, you know practices done in the Muslim community, for example, that's spiritual? How do you approach that from a historical perspective? We have to take them into consideration as well, even we don't believe that. For instance, if we cons- if we talk about Ratib ceremony in 19th century, you do believe it or not, it was a reality in, in the community. And um, we are looking at particular, uh, firstly we look at of course origin of Ratib ceremony. Uh, where it comes from originally, Indonesia or Egypt or Iran, doesn't matter, I mean, where it comes from, but it does matter when you write about it, because then you know which, uh, that, as you said, spirituality it contains, contains, you know. So, uh, that's important, of course. That's why when someone also write about history of Turkey in, from South Africa, or from England, they make mistake because they don't know that spirituality and you know details about uh, particular things in, in Turkey, uh, tradition, customs, uh, lifestyles, uh, different identities. Uh, applies to all other studies as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, well, that, well, that's quite interesting. Um, so, since it's Women's Month in South Africa, yeah, uh, I wanted to perhaps also ask you about the role um, that women have played historically in your studies. I don't know, perhaps in the Muslim community, uh, you, you mentioned previously that Shabu uh, Bakri Fendi had started a madrasa where it, uh, there were predominantly women coming to this madrasa. Uh, tell us about that since it's Women's Month. Yeah, thank you very much for the question. Um, that's a very important question because we always neglect women, especially if the subject is about Islam. Uh, 
orijinalmek isterim. Definitely Abu Bakir Efendi played crucial role in shaping of the Islamic culture in South Africa and women played took important place in his important place in his life. He taught many students, many women. He established the first Muslim girls' school in Batinghara Street. He taught his own wife, Tahora Saban. Tahora became the first teacher of that school. I find actually recently Tahora's school program. His Tahora's great granddaughter sent it to me from Port Elizabeth, David Baker Effendi. Uh, it was written in 18, 1872. Uh, you can see that uh, these are all historical source. We have to, we have to keep them and show them to our students. Also, I find them it's very inspiration inspirational yeah. uh, because imagine in eighteen, I mean eighties, nineteenth century, uh, a Muslim woman. She is white. She has white skin. Proper English girl. Mm. But she converted to Islam, and she didn't she didn't care about that you know the class social class what she has. She was happy about being Muslim, and she lived and died like that. I mean, it's big sacrifice. Tahora 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 Saban is very important person in the history of South Africa. Unfortunately, they are forgotten figures. And then uh, Tahora's, Abu Bakir Efendi's other son, uh, the first actually eldest son, Ahmet Atahullah Efendi, his wife was Muhsine Abdurrahman, Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman's wife. Mm. She is the first person, Muhsine Abdurrahman. She became also a school principal in, uh, I have the photo, it's here. School principal in at this Islamic school, Ottoman Imperial School. They call it like that in Kimberley. Musin Abdurrahman. Musin Abdurrahman had four children. Look how they are important. One of them, two of them were boys, and two other two they were girls. Hatice, the girls, Hatice, Hatice, and the other one is Hawairunisa. Hawairunisa became first medical doctor, first Muslim woman medical doctor in South Africa, Muslim female medical doctor in South Africa, and she lived and died in. She was born in Kimberley and she died in Johannesburg. And her sister Hatice. She got you got married with Yakub Hassan, well-known Indian Muslim from Johannesburg, and I have his photo also. And he was close friend of Mahatma Gandhi. They had they they live in Johannesburg, but then they moved to Karachi, and Hatice became she was anyway, but 
in Karachi, she uh, worked, she did in her uh, work on her uh, uh, studies. She became the first medical, uh, sorry, first judge in Karachi, female judge. Wow. Yeah, and I have her photo as well. Uh, these are important people, I mean, in, uh, in especially Dr. Hawa Nisa. She, st he, in South Africa. she was born here, mm -hmm. and her mother was Dr. Abdullah Abdurrahman's sister. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, they, uh, they really contributed to uh, women, uh, especially independence of women or liberation of women, especially Muslim women in South Africa. So we have to acknowledge these people. Now, just finally, when it comes to history as a subject at university for any young people to study um, that might be listening, whether they're in high school or yeah. starting university, and in terms of history as a career, um, what is your advice regarding that? Um, and then I do have another question with regards to um, what aspects of the Cape Muslim or South African Muslim see that you've looked at um, still needs to be looked at further, uh, that perhaps by yourself or by people to, still to come. Oh, thank you. Uh, I will respond or uh, answer your second question from my start from the second one. Uh, I, I would, I would love to someone study on uh, what actually Ahmed David left, because that site is, is a big gap, and Ahmed David did big contribution in this field. But unfortunately, after Ahmed, death of Ahmed David, uh, there is no really much study after that. You know, nobody really show proper interest on that. Uh, or in that detail, I didn't, uh, I haven't seen anything like that. Uh, he, uh, you might like him or you might like his study or not, it's not the matter. As I said, we are historian, we talk professionally. Ahmed David, for me, I mean, as his Turkish historian, Ahmed David, uh, if he didn't write such lot uh, we we couldn't even write we couldn't i mean come this stage it's amazing that you say so because uh, it was dr ahmed davids who himself uh, said a lot of things or wrote a lot of things about sheikh bakri fendi which you've now come to uh, in your own words rectify and and show that it wasn't correct but I do. It's, it's great that you you at least acknowledge the work of, of <clears throat> dr ahmed davids uh, I do, of course I do, because uh, when when we are not, uh, I just uh, tell my students, we are not writing on Facebook, we are writing on, uh, you know, proper studies, yes. some of my papers published in Harvard, uh, in very credible journal in Turkey or South Africa. We, uh, um, Ahmed David, uh, is all, he was the first man really proper study on these things. And if you look at his last book, Cap, uh, Africans of Cape Muslims, that book is very important source actually. Uh, people must, especially students, uh, young historians, uh, history students, they must look at 
that book and they must continue from that study. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I am not fluent in Afrikaans and especially Arabic Afrikaans is something else. You know, they can do this because they mother language, some of them's mother language Afrikaans. Yes, of course. So they, I donated the manuscript, a copy of manuscripts to Jagger Library at UCT and many other sources as well. They can go and study on that manuscripts. Ebu Bekir Efendi's uh, handwritten, Beyanuddin. They can read properly and understand. And is, is that in Netherlands, right? No, I'm talking about manuscript. We we are those manuscripts in in the Netherlands. No, no, no. The manuscripts in South Africa. Ebukir Efendi's grandchildren. I got copies. Yes, yes. I copied and I donated to UCT because, you know, that's how knowledge it become. We create knowledge. You know, we if you work on it proper, that's how Ahmed David did anyway. Yeah. Of course, I criticized Ahmed David in my studies sometimes because it's, of course, academically, mm. otherwise I have respect for him. I did because I have to rectify what he did, what was his mistakes. For instance, he he conf- get confused about, he got confused about two FNDs. He completely forget about other FNDs, FND family who lived in Bukap Museum. And, I mean, it was 71 Wales Street, became Bukap Museum much later so of course he made mistake because he made mistake because he was uh, he didn't know turkish source and he didn't he couldn't uh, differentiate from each other that's understandable i didn't criticize him i just corrected what he did mm-hmm. uh, his mistakes or other thing he said yabu bekir efendi's son vanished in history for instance actually he's talking about ahmed ataullah efendi he went he went to Yeah, Singapore. He became Ottoman consul general in Singapore. So these are uh, normal. We all make mistake. I mean, but I still say that Ahmed David. We have to, we if students, South African Muslim students, especially history student, if you want to study, that site is very big up there, still. So how does someone, you know, get access to that? In eighth uh, of. 8th of September I I donate my archives to my Turk, I translated them to English I donate them to, I will donate them to uh, UCT archive uh, Jagger library and in, in sorry 9 of September we are going kind of uh, celebration exhibition there and they they can also access my archives there archival source and They will just start how we are. We started, you know, like Ahmed David did. You know, that's, that's from. Firstly, they have to read who Ahmed David studies, uh, mosques, uh, mosques of book up, mm. especially very important uh, yes. book still. And uh, they can also read my studies and others. Yes, well, I mean, Ahmed David has written you know, a number of books, the mosques of Buka, social history, Afrikaans of the Cape Muslims, yeah. pages from Cape Muslim history, yes. the history of the Tanabaru, and yeah. uh, preschool education. He's, he was, of course... Uh, About Tanabaru, Yasin, sorry yeah. to uh, mm-hmm. interrupt, but sure. that's a- another important thing. Tanabaru Cemetery is not just a cemetery, it's a big heritage for us, very important uh, land, holy land for us. Uh, what I want to do 
uh, or what also we have to do we cannot leave it to only uh, Tanabaru Trust they have a limited finance to look after the, the land you know the graveyard so we have to also help them how as community I am talking about mm-hmm. we uh, my idea uh, university and not just in South Africa and I, mean, I can come with my university I mean in African studies because Tanabaru Cemetery is the oldest cemetery in South Africa oldest Muslim cemetery in South Africa yes. and uh, if you go inside you, you know it's difficult to even find where Abu Kirifendi's grave is I after I renovated yes it's it looks well but you must when you go in from just enter entrance you must turn left and you go up you do you can't proper, properly see that yeah, you have to walk right up huh. what mm. we can do and prop i mean proper architects 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 and uh you know uh especially land uh, architects they must work on the graveyard properly and I can even arrange another university in Turkey. We can work together, you know, could be collaborative work. So to make that uh, graveyard like proper, uh, like like heritage, everyone, everybody can. It's history. Well, I mean, in the same way that uh, said Alawi is uh, buried in a you know building, yeah. it's, it's marked, and of course. Uh, Guru kind of as well, even though the structure wasn't able to complete. Yeah. Um, you, you propose that something similar. We don't is need done. to build anything. We just need to. We just need to take everything out nicely, clean. Like archaeologists must come and help us, especially archaeologists. They, of course, some imams will also accompany us because they can read Africa, Arabic, Africans. Some I I couldn't. I read Arabic, but I can't understand because. I only understand Bismillahirrahmanirrahim or Huwel Baki, you know, but you don't understand what uh, the texts say, Africans, yeah. So there, there are some imams sitting in Bukhab, like Sheikh Shirat Johar, they uh, read very fluent Arabic Africans. They can help us and archaeologists, we can, we can make that uh, graveyard, like proper historical place. Many people show interest that uh historical land you know it's very important land we have to of course Abu Bakir Efendi is also buried there he was buried there but it's only he's only one there and there are many others there are many uh, gravestones underground there we don't we don't see them we don't know even who's buried there as exactly well. maybe we will find maybe we will find some other important uh, graveyard uh, sorry gravestones mm-hmm. when we read them it will be that's another historic that, uh, this is also part of historical studies yeah i mean you are looking at uh, this we call it epigraphy yeah okay. you know you are looking at gravestones other you know historical boards but uh, otherwise you know we don't know what is going on there but yeah, what's happening so okay well thank you so much for that insight and uh, it's always nice picking your brain uh, dr halim kinchoglu uh, wish you all the best and uh, we uh, is there any way people can get in contact with you in case they want to uh, talk to you perhaps contribute to any of the suggestions that you had made this evening uh yes they can come to african studies that you see they find me there 
Okay. Or uh, if you they Google my name, they can find my uh, website or uh, email. Right? Email yeah. anything. Yeah, it's, everything is available on. on what is what is your email? My they can use my university email halim dot gencholu at uct dot ac at Okay, so Halim spelled H A L I M. Uh, Ginchoglu is G E N C O G L U, right. without any of the squiggles. <laughs> yeah, in the in in normal Latin. Uh, well, shukran so much to you and all the best. Ah, Shukran. Assalamu alaikum.